This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So we're told that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But how many of us have time for breakfast or are eating foods that are marketed to us as a healthy breakfast option? But in fact, they're highly processed and full of sugar. Breakfast cereal is a big part of most families' morning routine or maybe even as an adult every morning you sit down to a bowl of muesli or granola. But there's a call at the moment for better information and regulation around breakfast cereal. And this comes at a time when one of our biggest breakfast cereal brands is trying to expand into that American style of on-the-go snack breakfast. So are we getting the start to the day that we need and are we getting the information that we need? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Nick Healy, joining you from ABC Shepparton. Nick, I grew up on a <laughs> breakfast, I'm not joking, right, of Cocoa Pops and a glass of concentrated orange drink. It wasn't even <laughs> orange juice. <laughs> it, was, it said on the carton, concentrated orange drink. What scares me is the fact, well, A, I'm quite surprised that I don't have diabetes, but the second part is that cereal marketing hasn't changed much since that time. No, it hasn't changed at all, I don't think. And look, I'll just say as someone who for some reason was allowed to have weak coffee and six sugars from primary school onwards, which I would dunk my toast into. Mm -hmm. Your breakfast sounds absolutely incredibly healthy to me, Rochelle. Uh, But no, think about the the cereals, the the brand names that we won't go into, but they still have the same messaging. They still have the same look to them. It has stuck around and obviously because it works to a large yeah. degree you know they're the cereals that kids who are in the supermarket are going to be going no that one that one grab that one you know what they're, they're like. bright and they're colorful yeah. and one of our guests will go into this today but we were chatting off air and you know it's because she said because breakfast is, breakfast is marketed to us and to kids to be fun but yeah. not as something that is just vital and that should be nutritious and sets you up for the day so kids are wanting the colour and the excitement and it to be sweet and sugary. But that's no one's fault. Well, it is. It's just not oh, the fault yeah. of parents and kids. No, it's no, it's no one's fault. But, you know, if you want to have the fun stripped out of breakfast, I hardly recommend getting a job in breakfast radio <laughs> where you'll have a boiled egg at six in the morning and nothing else. I mean, it's great. There's a move, and we'll go into this on today's program as well, for on-the-go and snack breakfasts. Now, this is not a, a big part of our lives at the moment, but Kellogg's has openly spoken about this, and they're now known as Calanova, the Australian arm of Kellogg's, and they want to move into this market. So will that help us? Will it make things more confusing? And I think as consumers, not just kids, but as adults, when you sit down to muesli and granola, you think you're doing the right Ooh. thing. But if you healthy, read the healthy. back of it, yeah, it, you might as well maybe sit down to a bowl of Fruit Loops. So, again, this is not about shaming our breakfast choices. It's about us having the information that we need and deserve and to not be health washed in some way. Very good way of putting it. Now, I do think there's a real push that suggests that more information is always good 
I think in some situations we have people who market so much information it becomes harder to know what's the real deal. It's not about necessarily more information. It's about the right information and making sure it's easy to understand. That's when people get to make the right decisions. So how hard is it for you or for your family to eat a healthy breakfast? How important is it? And do you want more information on the breakfast that you eat. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you. Melbourne, Nick Healy, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Shepparton. This text is from Kate in Preston. It says, breakfast cereal was strictly a holiday food in our family. And my cousins, it was a holiday food as well. And my goodness, could those boys whip through a bowl of <laughs> a box of Cocoa Pops in the school holidays real quick Nick. You've got to be able to drink that milk afterwards, that's the important thing you know it is a healthy breakfast if it's coloured the milk and it tastes like a milkshake when you're done Dr Alex Chung joins you in the studio. She is a Vic Health postdoctoral research fellow from Monash University, also works in the world of preventative medicine and is a dietitian as well. Alex, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. Good morning and thank you. Let's, I guess, start with the move that's come from the Australian arm of Kellogg's. They now go under the name of Calanova and they've said that they want to push hard, they want to pursue quite aggressively the on-the-go breakfast product. Is this something that concerns you? As you've already discussed with Nick this morning, breakfast is such a heavily marketed product in the supermarket. So it's alarming to me to think that there is going to be an influx of more products out on the market that are being sold to us as breakfast foods. As you guys said, when you walk through the supermarket aisle, breakfast foods are so heavily marketed, whether it's to kids through colourful packaging, characters on the front of cereal Mm. boxes, Mm. placed just at the right height for children to reach them as they're walking through the supermarket with their parents. And as adults, we're not immune to it either. Breakfast cereals are marketed to us as healthy and the ideal way to start our day. So I can't even imagine what's going to happen on the front of packs of the -the on-the-go bars and snack foods that are coming our way. I'm sure convenience will be a huge part of it, but I can imagine that that health washing will still be a huge feature of the marketing. Alex, what do we we mean when we're talking about on-the-go breakfast? What does that look like? I had a quick look at at the website, um, the Kelanova website, to see what they talked about with On The Go and the things that popped up, the products that popped up were their cereal bars. So these bars Um. are based on some common cereals that you'd probably recognise but glued together basically with multiple forms of sugar (laughs) and served to you as a breakfast on the go that you can have perhaps on your way into work or dropping the kids off to school, pop in a snack box, that kind of thing. I think for me the concern is that they've taken breakfast cereal that on its own is not great and they've added more sugar to the to the product to really hold it together so that it forms a, a solid bar and they're going to sell that to us as an ideal way to start the day. It's um, yeah, it's a real worry, I think, from a health point of view. Kate's in Preston. And Kate, it was you where cereal was only a holiday food. That must have been a special and exciting time for you. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> I'm thinking more about my kids, actually, like my family. I because I've always been quite aware of how much sugar is in cereal, it became just a, a real kind of treat thing. So when we go away on holidays, we'd buy, you know, those little boxes of fun, you know, the fun packs of Fruit Loops and Cocoa Pops and stuff and just say, okay, kids, just go for it. But this is only <laughs> while we're on holiday. It's not an everyday thing. 
Well, As a parent, do you think there should be more information, Kate? And not just for kids. I guess maybe even as an adult for the the like the cereal for adults as well. I don't know. I mean, I've never really been much of a cereal eater myself. Oh, although now I'm thinking about it, I always did like a bit of a Nutri-Grain sandwich. That was always a bit of a treat. But <laughs> um, a Nutri-Grain sandwich. It's so sweet. Oh yes, yeah, yummy. Lots of butter. White bread, beautiful. Oh, my but goodness. But a treat, a treat. I know, but I've never heard of it. I've had a lot of things. Yeah. There's a lot of messages that are coming in. Kate, good on you. Thank you, um, Alex, that are saying, oh, look, come on, Rochelle, this type of topic is so old. Hat, there was public concern about sugary cereals back in the 1960s. Anyone with half a brain can read a label. This is the survival of the smartest. Would you Ooh. agree? Oh, I don't know that I can agree with that. These days, there's so much information out there that I think it's actually really difficult for consumers to cut through and identify what they need to know in a packet. We know that people are rushed when they're making their food choices through the supermarket and if they see a message on the front of the pack that gives some indication of health, they're likely to pick that product up and go with it. People don't always take the time to turn the packet over and read through what's in the back of the What's, what's on the back of the packet to find out what's actually in the product. I think that the marketing is very clever and mm. it lures us in without giving us a full picture of what the product actually contains. Well, Alex, it goes back to what I was saying before. You can turn over the back of the box, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to understand exactly what that means. Your eyes can glaze yes. over some of that information very, and very quickly. And how it's labelled. That's if exactly you're looking, right. Well, if you're looking at that and you're thinking, okay, was that a lot of sugar? And you're remembering an ad about how if you eat this breakfast cereal, you're going to look great in your mini skirt all over again. What's going to sell you? Yeah, I think that's very true. It's hard to know uh, exactly how much sugar to be looking for when you're reading the back of the packet. And it's also very difficult to even identify sugar when you're looking at the list of ingredients in a product. There's more than 50 different names for sugar that can be included (laughs) in food products Mm. these days. So while you might be looking for sugar or some of the other more common names, maybe you're looking for honey or golden syrup or things that you might be familiar with, there are a lot of other sneaky ways that manufacturers put sugar into our food products. There's often more than one type of sugar in a single product. So it's very difficult for consumers to be fully aware of exactly what's in there. Dr Alex Chung is with you, a Vic Health Postdoctoral Research Fellow from Monash University. You're on the Conversation Hour, Rochelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you as we look at the world of breakfast cereal, whether it be for kids or for yourself. Do you want more information? Do you want, uh, I guess, better regulation around what it is classified a breakfast food? And that marketing there's an interesting text here that says a popular breakfast cereal has always been associated with sporting performance. Mm. It's been advertised as Iron Man food, but the reality is it's full of sugar. And then they would actually use athletes as well. How do you feel about it sort of having an association with sport and health? I think that's a really interesting one. We see that as a, a fairly common marketing technique used by this particular brand of cereal that um, that your listener has referred to. And it's another way that the food industry can kind of give a health halo to their food products. People look up to athletes, people see athletes as being healthy. So if they're then putting the picture of the athlete or the athlete's endorsement on the product, that's one way that that food company is using that athlete as a marketing sort of tool 
to give parents or consumers a sense that that food is a healthy choice for their families. Most of us aren't going out to do anywhere near as much exercise as an as a, as an Iron Man or an Iron Woman after eating Speak our bowl of cereal. <laughs> after eating our bowl of cereal. So for most of us, we really don't need that much sugar to start our day. Are we seeing generational change? So, like, I'm not when I say you know I grew up on cocoa pops and fruit loops. I'm not shaming my parents in any way. Well, they thought they were doing the right thing. But like as we heard um, from our caller Kate before, and there's another one here that says, oh my goodness, your breakfast rish was just like mine in the 80s. It was exactly the same. But now as a mum, I wake up early to cook a wholesome breakfast for my daughter every morning, but it's not easy. And that's from Erin in Eltham. Are we seeing a generational shift now where maybe we think, okay, I don't necessarily need to read the label on this. I know that this is a sometimes food. I think first and foremost, all parents want to do the right thing for their par- for their children. So no matter what food they're providing, all parents are definitely trying to do the best that they can for their children in the food choices that they make. I think what's happening is parents are making these food choices now in the context of increasingly busy lives and in terms in the context of increased food marketing. There are more products than ever before mm. in the supermarket shelves. So trying to spend your time navigating through those products and choosing a healthy product is more difficult than it has been just by the sheer volume of food products and the marketing that's leaping out at you from every packet. So do you want more information? Would you like maybe a different rating, a different form of health star rating? when it comes to the breakfast choices that we make. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy, your co-host, joining you from ABC Shepparton and in the studio as well, Dr Alex Chung, as we look at trying to figure out breakfast cereal and the information around it. Vince is in Morty, Alec. Hi, Vince. Hi. Hey, what do you reckon? Do you want more information? Um, yes, absolutely. Well... Personally, I think there are two ways of looking at it. One is um, uh, the advertisement that goes around, and second is the information that we get. So in, in terms of ed- information, I think people should just be more educated. And secondly, if, when there is advertisement online, just as we have for gambling or we have for um, cigarettes, um, you know, there's always a warning label. Well, there should be some sort of warning that says, well, hang on a sec, have you referred to the government website in terms of Here's the education that you need uh, on sugars and how that's impacting yourself. Vince, thanks for that. And I think it's an interesting one. I mean, education's an element of it, but it's not always easy, as we were saying before, to actually get that information and find, uh, I guess, the parts of it that are relevant to you. Um, also on the line, we've got Marina from Mento. Marina, good morning to you. Good morning. What did you want to talk about? Um, I don't have any trouble reading the labels. I have time to read the labels and I refuse to eat cereal with sugar but the issue for me is um, there's almost no cereals available without sugar mm. there's maybe one um, also I prefer to, I prefer not to have all the preservatives on the fruit so if you want to go without preservatives I haven't found any that don't have sugar I had the same issue, Marina, where I searched high and low. I reckon I read the back of every cereal <laughs> box at my local supermarket and it's pretty much impossible 
This message here, it says, if my mum is listening, I want to thank her for never allowing us to have cereal except for rolled oats. Cocoa Pops were never allowed, only at school holidays. Fruit Loops were an absolute no. She was ahead of her time. Let's bring in Dr Hope Johnson. She's a senior lecturer in food law at Queensland University of Technology. And for a long time, Hope, and you've just been given uh, another grant, so congratulations, you've been researching processed food and the impacts of processed food but also I guess how processed food is marketed to us and how it's labelled. Is sugar just processed food dressed up to be fun breakfast food? I think sugar in itself is is not necessarily um, the problem or it is part of the problem but we have to look at all of the different ingredients that are used in these kinds of products and also look at the processing that they undergo as well. So all of those things significantly impact the entire um, food and the way that we absorb, you know, nutrients from whole foods is significantly different from how we um, absorb nutrients from ultra-processed, high-sugar kind of junk food things, yeah. So how do we go about, I guess, educating that or making that easy to understand? I mean, plenty of people texting in saying, what about the health star ratings? My understanding is at the moment they're optional anyway and there are uh, certainly been a bit of argy about whether you can game the system or not. I mean, is that going to be appropriate still if we're talking about the processed food that you've been looking into? Yeah, the, there's obviously significant issues with the health star rating. If you can go into your supermarket and find what we would consider to be and what, you know... At, junk food with with more than 2.5 stars the the issue is that food manufacturers can tweak things in their food such as like reduce salt or fat to reach a higher rating but they still remain those kind of ultra processed foods that need to be limited you know in a healthy diet there was some research by sarah dickey from deakin university that found that three quarters of ultra processed food or what we would call junk food displayed a health star rating of 2.5 stars or more hope stay with us les is in heidelberg morning les oh yes good morning what would Um, you like to say well look i I suffer with type 2 diabetes and my sister my daughter has an immune compromised system she can't take fructose for instance Mm -hmm. And, and other sugars in food. She's very limited in her diet, as am I, because of the type 2 diabetes. Number one, you can't read the writing on the backs of some packets because the colour combinations are almost impossible to decipher what's written on the packet. And it is so small, you need a 10 times <laughs> magnifier in order to read them. Mm. The other thing is why the government insists that the companies put all these products uh, or produce uh, labels on the uh, product that they're selling, but they are not policing the fact that you can read the thing mm. nor understand mm. the terminology of the mm. product. They use yeah. some chemical formula or some product name you've never heard of except in a pathology lab yes. to <laughs> tell you what the product is. You are bang yeah. on, Les. You absolutely are so right. I think it's a really important point and it's been interesting to see a few people coming in and saying, you know, oh, I've got time to read the label yeah. or I can mm. educate myself and, and hope I just feel like this is on the money by my standards. I You look at some of the ingredients and it can be very, very confusing to understand. Now, obviously it's a legal requirement to have there, but should us being able to understand it be a part of food labelling as well? 
I think food labelling laws need to go beyond um, just educating the consumer. And I th well, I think they need to be a, a lot clearer. So as pointed mm. out, we need to actually have requirements around what colours are used and, and how big the ingredients are listed. The other thing is, if you're not sure what an ingredient is, you probably shouldn't consume yes, probably not too much of it. <laughs> yeah, I would just... It, probably then you'd be like, I'll just limit my consumption of this because yeah. it's probably not as nutritious for me as a whole food counterpart. I think that's um, great advice. Yeah. So, Hope, stay with us. Alex, you've been researching marketing of food i mean breakfast cereal i mean to their credit they are marketing geniuses the way they've made it seem like it's fun and it's every day it's essential i don't like they have marketed our breakfast foods like not too many other products i can think of yeah it's very clever and i'd say that it's one of the most heavily marketed sectors of the supermarket when you look at breakfast cereals, first and foremost, if you're looking for something for your children, there's all the child-directed marketing that sits across the front of packets. And we talked about some of those things before. It's cartoon characters. It's sports stars or celebrities. It's characters that children might um, resonate with, you know, little children dancing around on the front of the box, small um, characters with faces mm. and, and little wavy arms and things like that on them that immediately draw children's attention. There's images that really just note fun so it might be the cereal character sliding down the spoon as if it's a water slide into the bowl of milk these kind of things really capture children's attention layered on top of that are then health messages that really lure parents in a really common one on breakfast cereals is no preservatives no artificial colors Things that parents quite rightly look to limit in and the children's go, yeah, diet. Okay, okay, that's good. And they go, okay, that's good. I'm making a good choice. And yes, to limit those kind of things, you are making a good choice. But if you turn the packet over, you'll still see that that particular cereal could still be packed with sugar. Some of the commonly marketed breakfast cereals to children have up to one third of sugar in the ingredients wow. there. So when you, if you divided up that product into its basic components, a third of that cereal would be sugar. And that's not something that you would put on the breakfast table every day if you knew up front that that's what that mm. product had in it. It's a, a sometimes food, as we've heard from some of the listeners, a as holiday Elmo treat. Says, or, right? That's Elmo's uh, that's line. Yeah, no. <laughs> hey, wait, is that Elmo or Cookie Monster's line? I thought Cookie Monster. Oh, might be Cookie Monster on the cookies. Why am I, but, how do I know that? But that's breakfast, just depressing. <laughs> oh, breakfast cereal and cookies are probably similar in <laughs> yeah, some ways. Cookie Cookie might be onto it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing at Melissa's text saying, uh, my brother bought my daughter, who's only three years old, Cocoa Pops when we visited in Byron Bay. I had to tell her they were a Byron Bay delicacy and were not available in Melbourne. <laughs> very, very clever, Melissa. <laughs> Melissa, that's only going to last for so long, right? No, that's she's right. Gonna as gonna soon as that. you take her to the supermarket, she's going to figure it out. And that's the real problem, I think. Our children are exposed to so much food marketing that it's difficult as parents to come up against that. The colours and everything like that you're mentioning, and, and Rish said it right at the start, I feel like we've seen a bit of a, and, and I'm generalising here, but almost an Americanisation of the way cereals are marketed and treated. And, you know, you think to some of the famous American cereals where, you know, 20% of it is marshmallow rather than anything else. Are we worried that that's coming our mm. way a bit more en masse? Hope, is that something that concerns you? I, I think what concerns me um, more is that there isn't any regulation of food marketing to children mm. from the Australian government. It's purely industry-created codes. 
and this is something Belinda Reeves been looking at at the University of Sydney. But there's basically two codes created by the industry that we want to regulate. Um, they create their own codes of conduct um, about this, which they don't have to comply with and which they have created the standards for. Um, and that's the only kind of regulation. Well, that we change hope. Them. I mean, when Les rang before and he spoke about he wanted the government to put some regulation here, just like you would say with tobacco. Now, that sounds dramatic. But when we look at obesity, mm-hmm. heart disease, diabetes, all of the issues that sugar can uh, create, then you start to think, well, actually, maybe the government does need to put regulation onto this. Governments, hope. they are um, similar to our tobacco, not in Australia, but similar to our tobacco warning labels on the front of pack. Um, various South American governments, because South America in particular has been adversely affected by all these ju- the junk food for various reasons. They have on um, the front of pack often large black warning labels. Um, that say that the product contains excessive amounts of calories or sugar, sodium or saturated fat. So it's on the front of the pack and you don't um, need to think too hard, you know, and it's sort of a warning and it sort of says, so it sort of brings into that health impact front of mind. Hope, thank you so much for giving those insights this morning. Dr Hope Johnson, Senior Lecturer in Food Law at the Queensland University of Technology. I just wanted to quickly ask Alex, just very, very rapidly, um, Health star ratings, sometimes it feels like we've got a health star rating on top of, say, bread, and that's right beside a packet of chips, and we're supposed to compare like, like, we're not comparing like to like. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, and it's a common confusion, I think, with the health star rating. You certainly wouldn't be looking at the health stars on bread and the health stars on a packet of chips and trying to decide which one to eat. The health star rating is designed to compare products within the same category. So if you take bread, for example, then you could look at different types of bread Mm. and compare the health star rating across bread, the bread products that you're looking at, and ideally choose the bread product with the highest health rating, health star rating of the products that you're looking at in the bread section. The same then with breakfast cereals. If you're trying to find a healthy breakfast cereal, have a look at the health star ratings there and choose the highest rating possible mm. for the breakfast cereals category. Don't get me started on bread and why there's some <laughs> bread, right? I did a little experiment in my house with a bread that's a sometimes bread, mm. you know, a holiday bread. It never went mouldy. Exactly. Interesting. Fernando is on the line. Good morning, Fernando. What did you want to add? Oh, hi. Um, yeah, look, I've been listening to your uh, conversations. It's really interesting. Um, I actually use a, um, an app called Yuka, and um, it actually uh, has got the ability to scan the barcode on the product and it gives you the nutritional details of the product and then it ranks it uh, from interesting. Uh, excellent to very poor. And I just uh, wanted to know whether you guys uh, had heard about it. Have you heard of this? What did you say it was called? Yuka. Uh, Yuka. And it's free. I think you can uh, 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 pay for the upgraded version, but uh, basically uh-huh. uh, it's, it's a free app. And you go, I go into uh, Woolworths or Coles mm. and I, I'm there scanning the product and, uh, and it actually gives me a reading uh, immediately. 
I haven't heard of that one in particular, but I have heard of similar tools that, that mm. people can use to start to get a better understanding of what's inside a product, um, particularly if you're interested in certain components. So maybe you're looking to cut down your sugar intake or your sodium intake. So it sounds like there are some great tools on the market that can really help consumers cut through the information on packaging and, and make their choices. So thanks for sharing that one. Now, also on the line, we've got Graham in Wangaratta. Uh, Graham, what did you want to talk about this morning? Yep, sorry, apologies, that was my fault. Yep. Morning, That's Graham. Hi, it's Graham here. Yeah, look, upper porridge. Uh, I've been eating it for um, oh, all my adult life, really, and the kids love it. Do uh, they? The grandkids. Um, so it's one cup of porridge, uh, traditional, and two cups of milk. You can soak it, put it into soak the night before, and in the morning... It's beautiful, and the kids just wolf it down. I reckon society is divided into two groups, right? Those that love <laughs> porridge and those that think it is disgusting. <laughs> see, see I, I love porridge provided it's covered in brown sugar, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? Like, you know, a lot of these flavours... I always think back to sort of John Kellogg, who cause, you know started Kellogg's way back in the day. The food was deliberately bland because his philosophy was that if you had too much flavour, it could lead you to other unhealthy things. He had a very weird mind mindset about stuff and i feel like most of breakfast cereals trajectory since then has been about taking away that blandness even at the cost of just adding sugar after sugar after sugar patrick's in mccray morning patrick good morning how are you Thanks well. for good morning. um yeah uh, my fun has been stolen a bit about oats and porridge but you can um flavor it with sultanas and cinnamon mm. and that sort of thing but also my wife came up my clever wife came up with a great slogan you can't, if it's things are too complicated on a pack and packaging, you can't read it, don't eat it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great <laughs> philosophy. You know, you know, treat it like bad mushrooms, you know? You're unsure, don't go for it, you know? Patrick, good on you. Thank you. You mentioned earlier, Alex, education. Where, who's responsible for that, right? Because inevitably, whenever we talk about things like this, the answer is always, well, we need better information and education, but then who is responsible? Mm. And we can't leave it up to the companies themselves. Yeah, I think that's the main thing for me. Education and the responsibility lies with a lot of different people. It obviously is important for consumers to make the best choice that they can, but we can't rely solely on the food industry to be providing the information that we are basing our decisions on. As Hope said, um, marketing on a lot of these foods is poorly regulated in Australia, so the food companies can choose what they like to put on the the front of packets and that does mean that consumers are being sold health messages for products that probably aren't mm. all that healthy so as consumers we do have some say in what we pick up and put in our trolleys but i think that there's a really important call here to governments to say let's regulate this marketing so that it's a fair playing field at the moment the food industry holds the power and we need stronger regulation from governments to really level that playing field and when we talk about referring it back to say alcohol or cigarettes it would be yeah. like giving the alcohol company the power and the laws to make their own regulations. And I think for most people that doesn't sit right. No, that's right. A message here says, I'm a nurse working with parents of young children. I believe that doctors and nurses are not even well educated in nutrition. The foundations of good nutrition are not supported by health professionals and most people who can access it. We talk about food, period, uh, food, but we don't engage in conversations around understanding processes around food and ingredients. We discourage sweet drinks and lollies and chips, etc. but families are busy and they don't have time to read the labels. I believe that doctors and nurses 
nurses should even have better training when it comes to nutrition. That's from Christine. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Michelle Hunty with you in Melbourne. Nikhila, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Shepparton. Dr Alex Chung in the studio with you as well. Vic Health Postdoctoral Research Fellow from Monash University. Lots of people sort of asking, what do you consider to be convenience food? You know, what is on-the-go food? And if we're going to start to see a rise in that, and I guess really playing to our stresses, how busy we are. I know I eat... Like I eat my toast in the car on the drive yeah. to work. I make it in advance and then I eat it. So my on the go, but it's beautiful bread, beautiful peanut butter. I can, but I eat it on the go. But it's very different to some of these packaged foods that we're talking about. Libby Sanders is an associate professor of organisational behaviour at Bond University. Libby, you look into, I guess, workplace practices when it comes to how busy we are. Does that correlate with how we eat our food? Are we eating in the car, scoffing over our keyboards at lunchtime? Hi, Rochelle. Yeah, look, we absolutely are. It's a big issue that people, you know, we're so busy. We're in back-to-back meetings all the time, even though we know that's not great for our cognitive resources. It's not great for our stress overall. And then we tend to just sit at the desk and eat something, which is also not great. We should be getting outside, getting some fresh air, moving our bodies around. So, you know, when we're busy and stressed, we're much more likely not to eat at all at work or go and buy something, as she said, from the, you know, vending machine or yeah. takeaway uh, that's hurried. Libby, it's interesting to me because I, I, I'm in an office at 5.30am. I have breakfast in the office out of sheer necessity. Um, and it does influence my decisions about what I can have probably tending towards the less healthy one. We've had a few people get in touch saying, oh, you know, it's great to, to prepare healthy food. All you got to do is soak your oats overnight. We are a busier society. I think we're leaning ourselves towards not having that time. Absolutely. Like if people are back in the office, commuting times are increasing. You know, we've got family responsibilities, caring responsibilities, and Australians are working longer hours. We're in the bottom third of OECD countries for working long hours. And with that comes, you know, what's the trade-off? Do I buy the convenience food? Mm. Do I, you know, mm. I just, I need the extra sleep. I don't have time. You know, <laughs> someone might think to get so up. Sad, and but it's so true. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Libby, can workplaces change to be able to help us eat better? Absolutely. And we're seeing this in, I guess, best practice in some of what we would call employers of choice. You know, we often think, oh, it's a gimmick that they provide food in the office and we see all the tech companies and all the the candy bars. So I don't think that's a great idea. But a lot of organisations now are focusing on things like, you know, nourishing the employees. So that includes a range of things like fresh air, you know, natural light, um, different types of lighting, but also providing healthy food uh, for them to be able to, you know, not make those poor eating choices because when we don't eat well and we don't drink enough water and we don't take breaks, our cognitive mm. performance is going to be negatively affected. We're not as good at our jobs. It's not helpful for anyone. And so good organisations are investing in that. I'm trying to think of the last time I took a lunch break. Yeah, I think I was 
22. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm just thinking some of those practices, though, that workplaces are starting to introduce must have other benefits beyond nutrition too. Like if you're offering fruit or other healthy foods in the office, you're encouraging social cohesion. People are coming into the tea room, maybe not for a whole lunch break, but even just for a few minutes to catch up with colleagues. And that's got to be good for morale mm. and social connectedness within the workplace. So I imagine that the benefits of these kind of initiatives are actually quite broad. Absolutely. Thanks so much for your time, Libby. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Libby Sander, Associate Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Bond University. This, the best pre-packaged convenience foods are apples and <laughs> bananas. <laughs> Jeff's in Wangaratta. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, hello, guys. Yeah, just something that um, I'd uh, learned quite some time ago is when you're reading the back of the uh, uh, different products, you'll quite often see the sugars expressed in grams. But what I was always told was that um, four grams of sugar will equate to a teaspoon of sugar. So when you do a little bit of mass and you convert um, 40 grams of uh, sugar into teaspoons, you soon see that's 10, spoons of, 10 teaspoons of sugar. Wow. You get a much, 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 much more visual idea then of exactly how much sugar goes into these sort of things. But look, something that's also complicated our lives quite a bit is that we were told when we were young to go low fat, low fat, low fat. So we always pick the low fat products. But the problem is you go into the supermarket, you do it yourself. Pick up the full fat product and the low fat product. Have a look at the label mm-hmm. and just see how much sugar is in the full fat product, how much sugar is in the mm. low fat product. You'll probably find there's more sugar in the low fat product just simply because if you're going to take the fat out, well, yeah. to make people eat it, we just yeah. put more sugar in because salt, it, fat and sugar are the three things that the industry use to actually try and get you to eat it. You know, something it, as simple as Vegemite. Take the salt out of Vegemite and see if you can eat it. <laughs> You've got to have that flavour in there somewhere, Jeff. I think that's really interesting. Alex, he raises a really good point, and, and I don't want to bang on too much about the back of the box. I know we've kind of covered it, but it's not just about being able to understand the ingredients. It's about being able to understand how meaningful those amounts are. And I, I think Jeff's point of, like, don't think of it as grams, think of it as teaspoons is something we can equate to. Like, if I read that something's got 2,000 milligrams of salt, I'm not really sure if that's a huge amount or not, to be blunt. Yeah, I think the teaspoons of sugar is a really nice visual to help us understand how much sugar, for example, is in a product because we don't always think, we don't always weigh out our sugar at home. If you're having a cup of tea and you're putting sugar and you're not weighing it out, you're using a teaspoon. So it's quite a commonly understood measure and I do think that's a helpful way for for people to think about it. Sometimes when we're working with kids in schools, we'll do exactly that and we'll get children to measure out how many teaspoons of sugar might be in um, sweetened drinks so they can start to get a sense of how much sugar is in foods. It's really frightening. Um, And you could probably do the same for your breakfast cereals, just as your caller suggested. (laughs) I think one way to look at it is to read, um, without needing to know how many grams of sugar in a teaspoon or anything like that, read the ingredients list. And a couple of people have already talked about if you don't identify the ingredients in the list, then perhaps try and steer clear of that food or have it only sometimes. But if you read the ingredients list, those foods are listed in order of what's most in the product Mm. all the way down to what's there in the smallest amount. So if you can see that those first few ingredients listed in that ingredients list are what you would expect to find in that food, then it's probably a sure bet. Whereas if you read that ingredients list and you see sugar right up there as the first or second ingredient, then it's probably something Mm. to avoid. See if you can find a better alternative.
Yeah, I do love those lists, Alex. I love to, when you get something that's, say, purporting to be cherry-flavoured, and when you look at the list, the cherry is, like, yeah. the final... <laughs> pro- like, uh, well, maybe not, right even, down it's not even a cherry to be found. not there at all. Yeah. 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 On the line, we've got jo- uh, John Sorry, in Oakley. John, good morning. Yes, hello. Uh, look, uh, I've thought very deeply about all this stuff. If you go to the supermarket and buy oats or you buy just... I suppose uh, uh, not just just oats or or bran. It's very cheap, but the problem is there's no taste in it. Yeah. My daughter gave me a banana, uh, some bananas, dry bananas. It was like eating pure sugar. Mm. I think what the pro, what the manufacturers do is they get the fruit, they dry it out. I think it's very similar to sugar once it's dried out, and then they spray it with honey. And that's why there's a big difference between uh, buying oats or bran at yeah. the supermarket packets and buying these these processed foods. I rang up UT, the sports uh, 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 company, and uh, they said that I said, there's 22% sugar in this. And they said, yeah, that's right. So that's what you're buying when you're buying And, these. John, you raise a really good point. You know, when we talk about breakfast cereal, we think immediately kids. But when look at the muesli mm. section mm. in your supermarket and how big and how expensive mm. it is. And like John said, if it's got heaps of dried fruit in it, again, we're not shaming anyone, but it looks super healthy. It's being health washed with the way that it's packaged. And there is so much dried fruit in it, which we know has a lot of sugar. Should muesli be a sometimes food? I think some of the mueslis on the market probably are sometimes foods. Um, I think that they are often packed with sugar and dried fruit as well. Sometimes the sugar might be disguised or um, by its alternate names or sometimes they'll say, we haven't put sugar in this, but it's loaded with honey. So overall, it's still quite a high sugar product. It's just been processed a little bit differently and then marketed mm. a little bit differently. We see the same in, in some children's food products where they're marketed as no added sugar, but they're full of fruit pastes and fruit purees and things like that. So there are some pretty clever ways that sweetness can be added to our foods. And once it's in the body, it has the same effect. Sugar is, is sugar. Michelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you, and that's, you're also listening to the voice of Dr Alex Chung, who's a Vic Health Postdoctoral Research Fellow from Monash University. And fundamentally, as we said right at the beginning, we're all trying to do the right thing, whether it be for ourselves or for our children. And with the growing cost of just daily life, it's actually really hard now to be able to put a healthy meal on the table. Sometimes junk food is cheaper, which can be an option for a lot of people, or sometimes we're skipping meals altogether. And that's why I thought today it was really important to bring Dave McNamara into this conversation. He's the CEO of Food Bank and Food Bank are providing, well, not only food relief for everyday families, but Dave, you've been providing breakfasts within schools for so long now because you saw that there was just a need to ensure that kids had something to eat before they went to school. How important is it to, to know, not just for that child, but for the, the entire teaching environment, that there are breakfasts being provided when maybe they're not getting it at home? Uh, morning, Rochelle. Nick, Alex, it's it's critical. I mean, this is the critical time for kids to engage in both the social aspects and the learning aspects of, of school life. And if they're not well-nourished, then they're not taking the, the best opportunity out of that and we want we've seen that if we provide these breakfasts kids turn up to school they're engaged in class they're getting better teaching results they're Mm. seeing more social cohesion across age groups and that means less bullying 
And it all comes down to making sure kids get a good, healthy breakfast at the beginning of the day. And Dave, especially at the moment, you know, it is anti-poverty week. We're seeing some of the statistics around food insecurity and how much it's skyrocketed over the last 12 months. I know for the average Aussie household, there's more and more risk that meals are being smaller or meals are getting skipped. And I know most families will work so hard to make sure that children get out with food on their table, but they're making difficult decisions and that might be poorer foods. Of course it is. You know, food inflation runs higher than uh, CPI, normal inflation, and it's running, it was running over 12%, in some areas 40%. Mm. Uh, Now it's come down a little bit, but the great thing about this program is, you know, you were talking about cereals earlier. We've got six cereals that have been rated by, you know, uh, working with the Healthy Eating Advisory Service, which is a state government initiative delivered through Nutrition Australia. And that's six breakfast cereals that you know have low salt, low sugar and nutritional importance to kids. Uh, look, some of those we had to design ourselves uh, because yeah. there weren't the options there and muesli is wow. a great example. But it's, it, just, it is hard, but it's not hard at the same time to provide a healthy uh, breakfast to kids if uh, those products are on the shelf. Alex, you are nodding there. You, you know that particular program. Yeah, I do. The Healthy Eating Advisory Service does a fantastic job supporting organisations to implement healthy changes and to choose healthy products, whether it's through school canteens, through organisations like Food Bank. And I think it's really fantastic to see that there's resources out there that can ensure that when we're providing food to our children, we're providing the best possible options in terms of health and nutrition I worry about sort of that decision to make those, uh, the difficulty rather for families to make mm. those decisions. And, and Dave, I mean, have you seen a huge uptick in the kids who are coming and getting these breakfasts? Look, I think outside, when you look at the cost of living crisis, uh, yes. And, and you know, I, I'll put a positive spin on it. Mm. Gratifyingly, uh, we've seen over a 50% increase in uptake of fruit and veg in the program. which. Right means that kids are actually choosing the healthy options themselves, which I find incredibly beneficial. And it's not just the the breakfast programs within schools. I mean, obviously, you've got families that you're feeding as well that come to you for your service and would be needing breakfast foods as well. How are donations going just finally, Dave? Are you, are you, I mean, this is the thing. When it gets harder, it gets harder for people to donate as well. Yeah, look, it's it's uh, it's it's not the easiest time, but it's not the easiest time for anyone. We're just like a normal family out there, so we're feeling the same pressure. For uh, we get how difficult it is to get food because we're finding the same problem, and we you know, we're buying more and more food, and we're seeing those cost impacts that mm-hmm. we're seeing less and less food for that money. And as you said, at the same time, donations dry up because people are struggling, and we understand that. So, you know, we keep. Uh, working harder to make sure that we can provide food to everyone that needs it across the state and just to make sure everyone knows that we do the same thing across the school breakfast program that we do across our charity side of the business where we work with Nutrition Australia to make sure that all our products that we provide meet those healthy guidelines for every family out there. Dave, keep up the good work and thank you so much, mate. We really appreciate everything you do. Dave McNamara, CEO of Food Bank. Love that story that when given the option, kids are starting to choose those healthier options off their own front as well. Alex from Morwell on the line. Alex, you used to run a school canteen. Yeah, it's Alice, but that's okay. Yeah, no, I did in Darwin um, back in 2001. 
and after the first two terms and seeing how long the processed chicken uh, used to live <laughs> in the freezer for, and that was about the only healthy, inverted commas, option on a list uh, for any parent to order, and that was, you know, hot chicken roll. Um, I just, I couldn't bring myself to keep feeding the kids what was on, so I wondered how I was going to mm. approach that. So I um, made home-cooked meals Monday to Thursday and portion wow. control. Like I did a small, a medium and a large because, you know, as a, a little prep kid is not going to eat what a, in those days we used to still have year sevens um, at school. So there were some pretty big boys in amongst the <laughs> yeah, year sevens. Exactly. So, um, they ate two lasagnas whereas little preppy <laughs> might eat a quarter of a lasagna. But um, anyway. And so did I it did go down well once you made, when you made that change? Oh, absolutely, Alex. yeah. And then on Friday, I did Junk Food Friday and that was, I blanked out the um, drinks fridges. They could see the strawberry milk the chitin bloody, you know, coloured drinks and everything else, blocked them all out with nice fruity um, pictures that Berry supplied for me. And they go, Miss, I want that one up there. I said, no, not till Friday. Oh. And um, anyway, in the end, so by the, by the next term, I had the teachers all ordering because they loved the smell of the basket when it went in the room because they said, oh, it smells so good and it tastes good. So that was my thing is when you saying earlier about education, start at the grassroots okay. and... Yeah, it was just simple food, like, you know, tuna mornay, homemade lasagna, home-cooked chickens, not like eight years shelf life on a frozen chook, but, you know, you could bounce the food off the <laughs> bench when you went to, like, I was just... I, just I would be hanging out there it. for lunch myself. Alice, I just find that incredible. We actually did an entire program on the Conversation Hour on school canteens and how easy or simple it is or isn't to provide healthy food. The Conversation Hour is a podcast. You can go back, you can mm. throw that into your search engine and you can go to the ABC Listen app because it was incredible and it's not you need someone like Alice right yeah. to take that initiative and all of the work because sometimes they're run independently it's not actually run through the school it's a small business there's not a lot of cost associated and as we know junk food is easier and what cheaper I, what I love about that is in Alice's story if you offer good food to the kids they'll eat it they'll want it I think that's really important if we offer our kids healthy food and we try and steer clear of the pressures of marketing ultra processed sugar laden foods we can feed our kids well it's just a matter of making sure that healthy food as Dave said too making sure healthy Mm. foods available to them and Alex, just quickly, not to get tied up in this, but, you know, we're talking about the impact it's going to have on individual uh, kids, students, whoever we're talking about. This has got big knock-ons for public health and, and even as a preventative medicine kind of push. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We know that uh, healthy diets are the foundation of good health and children's dietary behaviours start from a really young age. So there's a critical time in early childhood to establish healthy dietary behaviours for children. It sets up their diets for the rest of their lives and we know that diets are really important for health, um, for our day-to-day lives as well as for longer-term health. So food is really important in underpinning health for, for children and adults alike. Let's end with Joy, who's been waiting patiently in Dalesford. Joy, what did you want to add? Oh, look, I don't know if I can really add anything because your last speakers have nailed it. They've been so accurate. Look, I teach and I have a really healthy breakfast, a big breakfast every morning with porridge and fruit and yogurt, etc. And then I see the kids at recess. I'm not judging anyone um, because I know their parents are busy, etc. And they've just got basically, particularly the senior kids, and I like packets of chips Mm. and biscuits and so on and I think how can you have that at 10 20 
and our lunchtime starts at like 20 past one, how can a packet of chips last your brain mm. for those hours when you've got to think? I, that's what I really am passionate about. Could we please try and promote healthy eating yeah. in our schools? And you're right, and that's the thing, we're busy and this is not about shaming or blaming anyone at all on this conversation there's one text here that will end with that it just says follow the money the food industry and self-regulation it just reflects all of this just finally alex are you confident that there will be changes that the regulation won't be by the industry itself that government will step in yeah, I think we're moving in the right direction. I think that there's interest with governments around food marketing and improving food marketing regulation for Australian consumers. So I am optimistic that we're heading in the right direction and that change really is possible to make it easier for people to choose healthy food. Geraldine and Hampson says perfect breakfast, some protein, an egg, homemade baked beans, soaked oats, oh. one chopped date, milk, sprinkle it with cinnamon. It <laughs> tastes great. It's easy, it's cheap and it's healthy. What's your perfect breakfast, Alex? Uh, we're a porridge household and I know we've talked a lot about oats and porridge today but we do often make porridge in the morning and it's usually uh, the rolled oats, some milk and then a sprinkle of cinnamon um, with some fresh fruit on top. A gut sticker, as my nana used to call yeah, it. Yeah. A, rib, a rib sticker. Or a rib, yeah, yeah. sticks to your ribs. Sticks to your ribs. <laughs> but it does fill you up, and certainly I see that for the kids. It does keep them full throughout the morning. Dr. Alex Chung, she's a Vic Health postdoctoral research fellow from Monash University. Nick Healy, I'll chat to you next week, mate. Thank you. You will. I'll be back with you tomorrow, and tomorrow we'll be looking at how far is too far to push your kids into sport. Till then, take care.